Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. This is one of the last things that David said before he died. Right after this, it said, the prayers of David are, are ended. Wasn't going to pray anymore, but right before that, this is what it says. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wonderful things. Wonderful things. I found this verse some time ago, and it always intrigued me. Acts chapter 9 is the conversion of the greatest missionary the world ever knew. He's got dual citizenship. He's, his Jewish name is Saul of Tarsus. His Roman name is Paul. Most people know him as the Apostle Paul. But um, it, there, there's so many magnificent things. There's not one verse that says he ever wanted to change. And uh, God chose him. It's almost like God burglarized his will. And I always believe that the reason that God chose Paul was because of Stephen's prayer. And um, when you start, there's a great verse, it says, and God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. When you pray for someone else, God not only will touch them people, but he can mend you as well. When you think of Calvary, I mean, isn't that what it was all about anyway? When him forgiving everybody else. So one of the great things that happened. But Acts Acts chapter 9 is Saul, or Paul, is on his way to... uh, I always thought he just put people in jail. But that's it's deeper than that. There are scriptures that said he killed people. In fact, um, there, there are some people believe that was his thorn, that he carried that guilt all of his life. I, I don't know what the thorn was. All I know is he prayed three times and God said, no, I'm not going to take that away. But, but this, this is from his conversion. When he gets struck down in Acts chapter 9, God speaks to this old man by the name of Ananias and says, I want you to go. I want you to go pray for this guy. And he said, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy that's been doing all the terrible things to the church? And, uh, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said, go thy way. He is a chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Watch this. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So this is at the beginning of his conversion and basically Ananias went there and told him, you, you, uh, you better buckle your chin strap because you got a really rough road ahead of you. And, and showed him, I mean, this is going in, showed him 
This is what you're going to have to suffer. Now, later on, he wrote down things that he suffered. And it says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. This is, I think, from the message. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That means he's got 195 scars on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. Now, now this is fascinating to me because if you know your Bible, there's, you know, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Three times nine, three letters in new, nine letters in Testament. Three times nine, 27. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, probably Hebrews. You've got 27 books in the New Testament. This guy wrote over half of them. And, And of course, he's got a long ministry. But what you have to understand, I'm reading to you from Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is one of the earliest books that he wrote which tells me he wasn't shipwrecked three times, he was shipwrecked four times. Because the last shipwreck he had was at the end of the book of Acts when he's on his way to Rome. When the ship went down, you remember, and he was on that island and the snake bit him. So (coughs) he didn't even know. (laughs) He had another shipwreck to endure. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my own brothers, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all these churches that I started. If you read the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. 1 through 12, the principal speaker is Peter. But 13 through 28, it's Paul. And so if you've got any kind of Bible in your, uh, any kind of Bible at all, in the back of your Bible, you'll have a couple maps. And always, it'll have Paul's missionary journeys. And it starts in Acts 13 and goes through 28. And he started these churches all over the civilized world. And he's got the pressure on that. I I know what it's like to try and pastor one church. This guy's got him everywhere. (coughs) He knew that going in. This is going to be tough. Let's compare that to Joseph. Joseph didn't know. What he was going, I, I personally believe Joseph is the greatest Old Testament example of Jesus Christ. And, and it says in Genesis 35, Joseph dreamed a dream, told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. <laughs> he said, 
Listen to this dream I dreamed. He said, we were binding sheaves. I was a sheave of wheat. You were sheaves of wheat. Guess what? All of you were bowing down to me. Isn't that great? (laughs) Years ago, there was a famous preacher in New York City. His name was Norman Vincent Peale. And he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Joseph didn't read the book. This is not how you get your older brothers to love you. And, and, And then he dreams another dream. And he, he, he told his brothers, he said, look, I saw the sun and the moon and the 11 stars because he's got 11 brothers. Daddy, you're the sun. Mom, you were the moon. And all you 11 brothers were, were stars. Guess what? The center of the universe was me. You were all in orbit around me. I was the center of the world. Isn't that great? <laughs> and then you begin to read the events that unfolded in Joseph's life. Bible said in Genesis 37 and verse 2, he was 17 years old. He's not even out of high school yet. He was sold. First they threw him in a cistern, an empty well. Then they sold him to a bunch of slave traders who took him to Egypt. And he was purchased by this official by the name of Potiphar. Bible said he was the captain of the guard of the king, Pharaoh. It says the whole house of Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. In time, Potiphar put Joseph over all the affairs of his house. Well, <clears throat> Potiphar's old lady tried to seduce Joseph. It said he left his cloak in her hand. Joseph's always losing coats. Uh, his dad made him a coat of many colors. His brothers took that, poured blood on it, showed it to dad. Joe got eaten by a, by a coyote, you know. Um, so he lost the coat of many colors. Now he loses his second coat, leaves it in Potiphar's wife's hand. He ends up going to prison on a trumped up rape charge. While he's in prison, these two guys come. One's the king's butler, one's the king's baker. They said, we dream, dream. We don't know what they mean. So they told him the dream and he said, well, this is what it means. He looked at the butler and he said, you've got three vines. The three vines are three days. In three days, you're going to get your old job back. And he looked at the baker and he said, in three days, you're going to die. So get your house in order. And so it happened. Baker dies. Butler gets restored. As the butler's leaving, he said, don't forget me. (laughs) But if you know your Bible, it says in uh, 41 and 46 of Genesis, Joseph was 30 years old when Potiphar asked him to give him the interpretation of his dream, which means he has spent the last 13 years of his life either as a slave or in prison. And Pharaoh dreams a dream. He gets all of his smart guys up and he said, man, he said, I had a horrible dream. You got to tell me what it means. And they said, well, tell us a dream. And he said, that's the problem. I can't remember. I want you not only to interpret it, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And they said, well, somebody's going to have to have God with them for that to happen. And the butler went, oh, I remember this guy in prison. Boom, Joe's in front of the king. I remember your dream. You had seven fat cows come out of the river, seven lean cows come out of the river, seven lean cows ate up the seven fat cows. 
I'll tell you what it means. You're going to have seven years of plenty. Then you're going to have seven years of horrible famine. You need to get ready now because in seven years, there's going to be a terrible worldwide famine. If I were you, I'd find smart guy and I'd put him over all the gray. And he said, well, who in the world could I find any smarter than you? You're the guy. All of a sudden he goes from prison to prime minister. Boom. Amazing. And then he said, I want you to go through the land. You're going to ride on my horse. I'm going to give you my ring. I'm going to give you my coat, my robe. I'm going to send you to the city. Everybody's going to have to bow down for you, which is cool because it means somewhere on a sidewalk was Potiphar's old lady having to bow down to the very guy she sent to prison for years on a trumped up rape charge. God keeps good books, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ever forget that. God keeps good books. And so in my mind, I see this, my mental model is it's a long haul and you got a table in front and you got AIDS bustling in and out, papers being signed. Next, number 42, you know, it's like the meat counter down there, you know, Pete and Joe's or whatever that guy's name is. And uh, uh, all of a sudden these 10 guys walk in the back room. There's a great verse associated with this. And this is what it says. And Joseph remembered the dream. 13 years of being incarcerated had killed that dream in his heart. But when those 10 guys walked in and he knew they're going to come up here and they're going to bow down to me just like I dreamed years ago. <clears throat> you know the story? He played games with them. Finally, he revealed to his brothers who he really was. One verse says, the joints of their knees were loosed. When daddy dies, he's going to kill us. And then you find this amazing verse. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. But, 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 but we sold you when you were a teenager. Yeah, but if you wouldn't have sold me, I wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house. I wouldn't have ended up in prison from Potiphar's old lady. I would have never met the butler. He would have never got me in front of Pharaoh. I wouldn't be in front of your sorry rear right now, saving your family and the rest of the world. You thought it was evil. God meant it to put me as the second most powerful man in the world. <laughs> what an amazing story. Joseph could say what David said. He only does wonderful things. Look at this wonderful thing he's done because Joseph ben Pat, Zath, Zath Panath Pania, I think is what it meant, savior of the world. This guy's over all the wheat and the corn and the barley and the oats, the world's food reserves. This guy's over it and saves not only his family, but everybody else. David. This is at the end of his life. I will bless the Lord who only does wonderful things. Do you know that when you read the book of Samuel, there's this guy named Saul who's the king and he would get depressed. And it said he would call for a minstrel. Bring me a musician. 
Let him sing song, drive this depression off of me. Two times, not once, two times, while David was playing to encourage the king, the Bible said Saul got a javelin and threw it at him and tried to kill him. I read a great book years ago called A Tale of Three Kings by a man named Gene Edwards. And the book was worth one statement in there. It said two times Saul threw a javelin at David, but he never did pick either one of them up and throw them back. If you know your Bible, this is the guy that became his father-in-law. This is the guy that gave David's wife away to somebody else. His face is in every post office. He's on the FBI's most wanted list. Saul's jealous, trying to kill him. As, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite verses is in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 2. Listen. And he's in his cave. just He's trying to stay alive. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Here, here's the message. Listen to the message. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around. Losers, vagrants, misfits of all sorts. David became their leader. Sounds like pastor. Nobody's got any money. Everybody's depressed. They're all bitter about something. Would you be our pastor, David? Uh, no, I don't think so. But he was. And if you know your Bible, the 400 grew to 600. And you, you read, it's in mm, Samuel 23. It talks about David's mighty men. Mighty men. These guys are crazy. There's a guy, the Bible said he jumped into a pit on a snowy day and knew there were two lions in the bottom of the pit. Which means you can't climb out. It's snowy. He knew they were in there. That's crazy. There's one guy, it said he killed hundreds of people with a stick, an ox goad. These aren't mighty men. These guys are, these, they're stone dead crazy. <laughs> this is the bunch that's around him. As a matter of fact, remember Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. David, it got so bad, he had to try and find a place for these 600 men. And he went back to the king of the Philistines. Listen to this verse. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands. Now this is fascinating to me because the word mad that we read in English is the Hebrew word halal. Let me read you another verse that uses the word halal. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. The word translated boast in Psalms 34 and 2 is halal. Have you ever heard of the word hallelujah? That's three words. Halal, ye, yah, J-H, which is a contraction of Jehovah, which means praise ye the Lord. All right? So when, when, when you say hallelujah, you know, when I say praise the Lord, you're not supposed to say Hallelujah. Because when I say praise the Lord, you're not supposed to say praise the Lord back to me. You're supposed to praise him. 
halal ye yah. Now, I was a hillbilly kid. They said hallelujah. Now, I don't know how, if Jehovah got upset being called yer or not, but that's just the way I was raised. What I'm saying to you is, is it possible that while he was in front of the king of the Philistines, he worshiped God and they thought he was crazy? I've seen that in Pentecost. People think you're nuts. Who cares? Paul said, after this thing that you call crazy, that's how I worship my God. <laughs> Through the foolishness of preaching, not foolish preaching, but really this is foolish what I'm doing here right now. But it's God's way. And, 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 and we do it. It's just, I mean, come on, David. This, what does it feel like to mess around with your best friend's wife? And she gets pregnant. And now you got to cover it up. So you make it possible for your friend to get killed because you don't want to be exposed. What, what kind of condemnation does that feel like? The, the, the baby dies. A prophet by the name of Nathan confronted David and publicly exposed him to the entire country that he's supposed to be the righteous leader of. This is a guy that saw his own son by the name of Amnon rape his sister Tamar. This is a guy whose other boy by the name of Absalom tried to kill his own dad and steal his throne. And yet, even though he went through all of that crazy, horrible stuff, when he came to the end of his life, he said, I'm going to bless the Lord who's only done wonderful things for me. Now, other people might have done terrible things, but not the Lord. Everything he ever did for me was wonderful. Was wonderful. Was wonderful. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm going I'm to read you the first three verses in the book of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch. I thank my God upon every memory of you. See, let, 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 let me digress. Here's, here's the first verse of the first letter that Paul ever wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Listen. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Here's the second letter that he wrote to that same church several years later. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Here's the next book, Galatians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. Here's the next book, Ephesians. Paul, an apostle, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Here's Colossians, the next book. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the do, do you see the rhythm? Do you, do you see the repetition? Again and again, he starts these letters and said, I'm the apostle. You got that? I'm the man. God called me to do this. You didn't. I'm the man. I'm the apostle. Don't, don't forget that. That's not how he starts out to the Philippians. The letter to the Philippians begins different than any other 
letter that he wrote. This is what he said. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, watch this, with the bishops and deacons. There's no mention. He's not rubbing their nose on it. There's not one mention. I'm the apostle. He said, Timothy and I, we come to you as servants. Why did he begin the letter to the Philippians like that? Because he said the Philippian church was different than every other church. Watch. They were with their bishop and their deacons. They were with the pastor and with the leadership. And when you have that kind of unity in a church, nobody has to scream and yell about who the boss is. Everybody just wants to serve one another. Servant, servant leadership. That's why we've been so blessed in this church to have the unity and the harmony that we've got because you've been with me and you've been with this leadership. And that's why I don't have to get up here and yell all the time. I'm the boss and, you were, and you're the applesauce. I don't, I don't preach like that. I've never had a God complex and I've never tried to lord over God's heritage. Why? Because it was what Draylon was saying. We pray for unity. We pray for unity. We pray for unity. You get unity, you'll have revival in the church and harvest among the world. With. The Bible said, in, at what's, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all with one accord in one place. They weren't just in the same place. They were in one accord. Remember where two or three are gathered together. It, it's not just gathered, but you got to be together when you're gathered. It's not enough just to be in the same geographical location. Where's your spirit at? Where's your heart at? Are you blended? Are you marinated? Are you, are you homogenized? Are we together? Or are we just all split? God can't do anything with that. That's why when you say the Bible, Satan's territorial. Paul talked about we, we, we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers. You know, the, the, the queen just died. Do you, do you know that they, they, they never said the queen's coming? This is what they called her, the powers that be. You, you, this is King James. This is old Middle English text. A power, a principality is something that in Michigan, we'd call it a township. Louisiana would call it a parish. So you get a principality, then you have something bigger, a power, something that runs a country, the rulers of the darkness of the world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. It's, it's, you, you understand what I'm saying? See, Jesus is not territorial. He's omnipresent. But Satan is always trying to stake out his turf. This is my office. This is my piano. This is my microphone. This is mine. You can't have that. That's not the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's an everywhere God. He's not a territorial person. That's why why I've told you for years. I, I, I was just in the woods last week. I love going in the woods because I see something in the woods that I don't see in the kingdom. In, in the woods, I, I've never seen a squirrel that wanted to be a porcupine. I, I, I've never seen a maple tree that was jealous of the oak. I've never seen the oak that wanted to be a hickory. In, 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 in the natural world, things, things, things complement one another. But in the kingdom, we compete. There's competition in the kingdom. And that's why it's not as beautiful as it should be. In the natural world, oaks are oaks. 
maples are maples. You don't believe that? Just go walk out today and look at that orange and that purple and that fuchsia and that. It's just amazing. Why? Because they're just doing what God built them to do. In my father's house are many kings. You know, in my father's house, what's it say? Are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't. Sure. I've taught you for years. There's that, that, that word mansion is only one time in the Bible. It means dwelling place. What's the father's house today? The church. So read it with revelation. In the church are many dwelling places. Have you found your place? Have you found your ministry? What's your gifting? What did God call you to do? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the work of the ministry. Every other translation says for the work of their ministry. So who's called to the ministry? Everybody. It's just, watch, watch. Here, here's, here's, here's one of the early letters that Paul wrote. This is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 and 9. I'm the least of the apostles. Now, I'm not one of them original 12, but I'm an apostle. Don't you forget that. I may be way down in the food chain, but I'm an apostle. Well, this is what he wrote a couple years later to the Ephesian church. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Now at the end of his ministry, he wrote two letters to a young preacher named Timothy. And this was in the next to the last letter he ever wrote before he died. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. When he started out of his ministry, I'm an apostle. A little bit later he said, I'm one of the saints. But when he got to the end, he said, I'm the worst sinner there ever was. And the longer you serve the Lord, you're going to come to an understanding of just how gracious and kind and how long-suffering he's been to every one of us. And if you don't ever get that revelation, you're dumb as a box of rocks. God's been good to us. How many? Oh, Every one of us, he should have thrown us away and discarded us. But again and again... So what, do you realize how frustrated Satan is right now? Because you're around the altar with me just a few moments ago, repenting, amen, for the dumb stuff we did last week. And, 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 and Satan's going, hey, I messed up one time and you threw me out. Harold did it 17 times last Friday and you forgave him. That's right, I did. Just bring that up and just rub his nose in it. Whenever he brings up what you said and you shouldn't have said, what you did and you shouldn't have done, then you look at him and say, here's the difference, dummy. I can repent and be forgiven. You can't. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> listen, listen to this. It's just, it's, here's in, in, in Acts, Acts chapter 16 is the story of what happened in Philippi. Because I read you this first. This is, this, this is Philippians. Where is it? Philippians chapter 1. Verse number 3. I thank God upon every memory of you. Every, every one? Wait a minute. He's in the midst of this great harvest. And, and I got it here somewhere. It's it's. It's Acts 16 and 9. He has a vision of a man, a man in Macedonia saying, 
come over here and help us. So he leaves this great harvest he's in and he goes to Philippi, which was in Macedonia. And guess who he meets? A bunch of women. No man. A bunch of women by a river praying. Well, one of these women happens to be a lady whose name is Lydia. The Bible said she sells purple material. Purple was very, very, very expensive color back then. You just didn't go to Calico Corners, you know, or the Hobby Lobby and buy purple. Purple was, was very, shh, this is a wealthy businesswoman. It says she received her, the message and was baptized with her household, 16 and 15 of Acts. And when she was baptized and her household, this is a fascinating word, household. In, in, the, in the Greek language, it's oikos. It means everybody in your circle of influence. It doesn't just mean your blood kin. It means your friends, people, the whole circle. Everybody got baptized. Okay? So they start having this great harvest. And if you know your Bible, there was a riot in Philippi. And Paul and Silas end up in prison. They start singing at midnight. Did you ever read that scripture? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Let me give you a little revelation. A.M. starts at one minute after midnight. The morning doesn't start when the sun comes up. The morning starts in the middle of the night, man. You may think it's dark, but it's really morning. And and. and there, there's a great scripture in Corinthians where Paul said, my speech was somewhat contemptible, which means he's never going to get an award, a Grammy award. He's never going to, I call it digital, you know, he's never going to have any digital soundtracks. He, he, he's never going to have any CDs. He's got a voice like mine. From here to here, oh, you should hear me sing. From my lungs to my larynx, it's Carnegie Hall quality. It's great stuff. It's just them last two inches. Something stupid happens. <laughs> I love music. I've always loved music. I sing to the chagrin of my wife every morning. You just ask her. She's in Texas right now. Every morning, I start off my morning with music. It's, I've, I've done it for years. And she's going, oh, I, I, man, I, I promise you, I, I, I can sing like Frank Sinatra, man. I just, you know, New York, New York. These little town blues, man. I, 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 I got that, man. I got, I, 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 I got it. Except for them last two inches. So here's Paul and Silas singing. Earthquake comes. Watch what it says. And all the doors were opened. There's two kinds of people in that prison, see? There's Paul and Silas who know God. They're bound. And there's all these crooks and convicts and thieves and heathens who don't know God, but they're bound. Everybody gets free. Not just Paul and Silas. There's a Bible lesson there. When you have a church service, you've got people that claim to know God. They're bound. 
and there's people in church that don't know God and they're bound. But freedom is never going to come to the bound people that don't know God until freedom, first of all, comes to the bound people who claim to know God. If you really believe you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've you got to be a worshiper. You've you got to be a worshiper, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because, because three pews behind you may be somebody in real trouble. Their freedom is dependent upon your freedom. You get free, God will free them. And all of a sudden the jailer runs in. Now you got to, I did a lot of homework with Roman law. If you were a, a, a police officer and you're escorting a murderer and he gets free, you are going to die because you're going to suffer his penalty because he was in your care. The jailer runs in. He's going to commit suicide because he knows they're all gone. Now you're going to, it's, it's dark, see? I don't know if you've ever been around earthquakes. I've been around two in my life. I'll tell you what happens with earthquakes. The walls bow out, the roof falls in. Well, guess what? The only thing that happens in this earthquake is the jail cells come open. Nobody leaves. Now, I can understand Paul and Silas staying in jail, but I always wondered why did the crooks and the convicts and all the heathens stay in their cell? Because when the jailer came in, He's totally, it's dark. He's totally convinced they're all gone. And Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Why? Why would the crooks and the convicts stay in an open cell? Because they understood the blessing of hanging out with the preacher. They understood the blessing of hanging around the people that knew God. If I stay with these guys, I'll be safe. If I was anywhere else, I'd be flattened and I'd be smashed like a pancake right now. But because the Bible said the whole house of Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. The Bible said that Obed-Edom's house was blessed because of the ark. That prison was blessed because Paul and Silas were there and God spared the rest of them for them two preachers. The, the jailer takes them out of their cell, washes them, feeds them, feeds them. And then it says this, same word, the jailer and his oikos. The jailer and all of his house were baptized. This is what I believe. I think the jailer's the guy in the vision. And that's why Paul could write, I thank God for every memory of you. Wait a minute. Isn't, isn't that where they had the riot? Isn't that where you were beaten? Isn't that where you ended up in prison? Yeah, but if I would have never been in prison, I'd have never met my man. The prison revealed to me the man that told me to come over here. Don't you understand, lady? Do you know the Bible said your steps are ordered? That you are not here today just by chance? The Bible said your times are in his hands. Do you understand that the puppet master of the universe has orchestrated this day so that you can be here right now in this place? It's not about listening to me. You have a divine appointment with God on your schedule. And he has choreographed this day so that you could be in his house listening to his word, listen to people magnify his name. Why? Because he wants to burglarize your life, ladies and gentlemen, and he wants to become king. 
See, we, this is America. This is a republic. The Bible is not a republic. The Bible is not majority rules. The Bible is he's the king. We're his servants. Are you willing to live like that? You want to trust the president? Go ahead. You want to trust all these congressional and I, I got no confidence in this political machinery in this world at all. But I do have great confidence. He said he is not a man that he can lie. It says he only does wonderful things. Please tell me one bad thing God's ever done to you. Please. I've never, I've seen thousands of people get baptized in that tub. I've never seen one person come out of there and go, oh, oh, my God, why'd I let you people talk me into that? I've never seen anybody filled with the Holy Spirit, speak with tongues, magnify God in a language and go, wow, that's the most unpleasant experience I've ever had in my life. Everyone I've ever seen come out of that water filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a smile on their face. There's joy in their heart. I want you to know there's a God that does wonderful things. The Bible said it's called the gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Who in the world is there in this room that doesn't want a present? That's why today's a gift. That's why it's called the present. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice. Be glad in it. Watch. This is the end of the book, Revelation 21. And God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. For the former things are passed away. That's my little subject today. What are you going to do when yesterday is gone? His truth endured throughout all generations. I was at a camp meeting a couple years ago, and this man came up to me in the lobby. Are you Harold Hoffman? Yes. Would you talk to me for a moment? Yes. He had this photo album. He said, I was Amish. And he said, I somehow got a recording of you teaching on baptism in Jesus' name and the Holy Ghost. He said, I gave it to my pastor. He said, we both got under such conviction. We didn't know anybody that baptized in Jesus' name. So we went to my farm pond. He baptized me in Jesus' name. And then I baptized him in Jesus' name. He said, we taught it to the church and baptized the church in Jesus' name. He said, revival broke out. They started being filled with the Holy Spirit to speak with tongues. He said, our Amish elders heard about it and disinherited, dis- wouldn't allow us, disfellowshipped all of us from families. He said, but instead of being depressed, we remember the word of the Lord when he said, sometimes I'm going to bring a sword. I'm going to set families at variance. He said, that happened to us. He said, they threw us out of our church. We had no church. But a businessman in the city heard about our plight. He, he, had, he gave us 80 acres, built us, a, and he showed me these pictures. He said, now we have a brand new church paid off 
on 80 acres, paid off, and we have 150 used to be Amish people baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh. We gave $75,000 to help build a building in Bangladesh. They, they, they just had 4,000 people get the Holy Ghost three weeks ago. We give thousands of dollars to the church in Paraguay. They just had 7,000 people come into, 7,000 people come into this. Ladies and gentlemen, I, the Bible said his truth endureth throughout. I know you talk about Azusa Street and Stones Folly and Topeka, Kansas. I want you to understand something. Long before Azusa Street, there were people somewhere baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. His truth endureth throughout all generations. He, he, he's, this, this has been happening since the day of Pentecost. How many millions, 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 mil, but this is what it says. This is the Bible. The Lord himself, not an angel. He's not going to delegate. The Lord himself is going to come up to you and go, you don't need those here. We don't cry around here. Is there anybody in pain right now? There's coming a day when yesterday's gone. There'll be no more pain. Amen. This is, this is all nations. We've got 42 nationalities in this church now. There are seven no mores in the book of Revelation. Six of them make perfect sense. No, no more night. No, no more sickness. No, no, no more sorrow. No more death. But there's one that says no more sea. Why? Because John wrote that when he was on Patmos, which was, uh, uh, he was in penitentiary on Patmos. He is saying that, that I'm here all by myself. But he said, there's coming a day when nothing's going to separate me from my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why a church ought to have somebody of every color, every culture. The Bible said every tongue, every kindred, every tribe. I, 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 I'm going to end, but my, my mother is here somewhere. Usually she. Now, if I'm, I got I to answer to God for this, okay? I'm not, I'm not being evangelistic. My dad had a very limited amount of days. He worked 30 years for a chemical company. It was a nasty job. When I was 16, I said, Daddy, I want you to get me a job at summer. For the summer of coppers, he said, not a chance. And I said, why? He said, you might just like it. And then I'm getting stuck here just like me. He said, I want you to do something greater than this. My dad worked at a place that when he came home, he, he had to go in the basement and take off his clothes because his clothes smelled and stunk so bad. He told his coworkers, when I work 30 years, I'm retiring. They all made fun of him. My dad retired when he was 55. He got 30 years in copper. He had a job he hated every day. He told me he hated it, but he, he was going to pay the bills and take care of his family. The men that he worked with didn't retire. They died of lung cancer. All that asbestos and all that stuff. My dad, every summer, every July, my dad and mother would take me to a camp meeting in Millersport, Ohio. Now you gotta understand, even then, he only had two weeks vacation, but 50% of his vacation, we went to church. 
we would go on Monday, church would start Monday evening. I'm talking all day here. I'm just a kid, man. Starts at nine in the morning. You go from, you have breakfast, have church from nine to 11. You go have lunch, come back, have church from one to four. Go back, have dinner, come back seven to 11 or midnight. That's the way it went. I'm talking five days in a row. Six days, Monday through Friday. Is that six or five? Anyway. They made it fun for me. That's where I met Renee when she was 12. 12. She wouldn't tell me how young she was. I was 15. She was afraid if she told me she was 12, I wouldn't want anything to do with her. But I was sitting with this ugly girl. I was. And Renee was there with this green dotted Swiss dress on, all this beautiful auburn hair. And I was trying to figure out how in the world can I get away from this ugly girl? I spilled a can of Sprite on Renee's dress and spent the rest of the night apologizing to her. And the girl got the message. I didn't want to be with her. So I walk her outside. We're sitting on this bench underneath this tree. There's two men that I'm terrified of. A man named George Thompson and a man named Paul Cook. They're both about six foot two, bald, deep voice. I'm sitting here with this drop dead gorgeous girl and I hear this voice, Renee, I'm leaving. And you get in this car or you're walking home. And all of a sudden she smiles. She said, I got to go. And I, I said, that's your dad? <laughs> Paul Cook's your dad? Are you kidding me? Oh, it's okay. I got to go. Whew. A couple of months later, I get my driver's license. I'm driving back and forth. I told my mom when I was a teenager, I'm going to marry Renee. She said, oh, you're going, to meet, you're going to meet a lot of girls here. I said, no, I'm going to marry Renee. Everybody said I was crazy. One preacher said, Faith Cook could never let her, her daughter marry a hillbilly like you. He was wrong. Where's Kinto? Kinto's our youth pastor. We were dedicating Kinto. He was that long. My dad comes up here. My dad never cried. My, only, only right before he died did he get wistful. But my dad didn't cry. When we dedicated Kinto, my dad walks up here. And he said, now do you understand? Do you get it now? And I said, what do you mean, daddy? He said, if I would have never took 50% of my vacation and taken you to that camp meeting, you would have never met Renee. Because two months after I was married, her father said, do you have a passport? No, I'm a hillbilly kid. We don't even know what a passport is. I don't leave Brook County, man. I got a passport. He said, would you like to go to Japan? We have a missionary coming home. We need somebody to go to Japan. Would you like to go? You betcha. I'm your guy. And then he said, we, you need 10,000 bucks, which was a lot of money in 1980. It was a lot of money, but I'd been traveling for five years and I knew a lot of pastors and I asked them all for 500 bucks. And in just a few hours, I had $10,000. And, 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 all, and all of a sudden in March, Renee and I are in Okinawa. Boom. We, we haven't even been married a year. We're in Okinawa. And, and, and they, the missionary throws me the keys and said, you got to drive on the left-handed side of the road. You'll figure it out. <laughs> I didn't know the language. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't know nothing. But guess what? That's where Mina Okudada 
receive the Holy Ghost. And I talked to the missionary director and he said, to our knowledge, Mina is the very first native Okinawan to ever been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And so Renee and I come home and Renee and we teach in a Bible study to this Japanese architect by the name of Makito Mori. The dude could eat like, like Pac-Man. It was, I mean, you can't believe how much this guy could eat. And finally, I gave him to Bob and Brenda, and he ate them out of house and home. And, and Nikito got the Holy Ghost and got baptized, and, and Mina came to Christmas. Nikito took her on a date. I knew when she came home, she was off the market. They got married. They have this wonderful family. Her boy's the youth pastor in this church. Why? Because my dad ended up taking me to Ohio to go to a camp meeting to meet a 12-year-old girl who just happened to have a daddy who was over all these missionaries in Asia and the South Pacific, the puppet master of the universe, just pulling these strings. (laughs) And so here I am. I'm 65 now. I've had some lousy things happen to me from people. But let me tell you about the Lord. He's only done wonderful things. Stand. 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 Join me around the front here. I woke up early this morning. I wanted to watch the sun come up. I stood out on the porch. I watched that again. I I love, I love fall in Michigan. I, I just... I enjoy living in Michigan. I love change of seasons. I love fall. This one's orange. This one's yellow. This one's pink. This one's fuchsia. It's like the God of the universe. The greatest Michelangelo of the world. It just goes through and just paints one this and paints that. This is a day the Lord has made. Ladies and gentlemen, you have his his air in your lungs. We sung about that. You have his sanity in your mind. You have his strength in your body. Exploit this moment. Do not take this for granted. There's a lot of people on the obituary page that would gladly, freely change places with you right now just for one more chance. It's a better way to live. It's a better way to live. This world is getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Jesus, I don't know, September 11th. It's like Pandora's box has been opened. It was for a while, like every two or three years, something stupid was happening. Now it's like every week, something dumber is happening. The Bible said, if you will make him king, Isaiah called him the prince of peace, but a prince isn't going to be able to help you. He has to be king. The Bible said, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. If your confidence is in this culture, hang on, because it's getting dumber and crazier. There's a New York Times bestseller that the enemy of your soul has written. It's called confusion. But the Bible said, he is not the author 
of confusion. He's the author and finisher of your faith. You need to read the right book right now. You need to read the right author. Put him on the throne of your life. It'll just keep getting better. (laughs) And there will be a day when yesterday will be gone. There will be no night. There will be no sun. It will be an eternal day, an eternal present. There won't be a tomorrow. There won't be yesterday. It'll just be. If it's appropriate, put your hand on the shoulder of someone by you right now. Lord Jesus. I'm not praying for these people because I'm better than they are. I'm not about to play that game with you around your altar. I'm not praying for them because I'm, I'm closer to you than they are. Or I know more about you than they know. I'm doing this simply out of obedience to the pastor and to your word. It says pray one for another. I believe that there is something magical that happens when two or three just get gathered together. Your word said, I have the authority to overcome 1,000 enemies. But you said two can overcome 10,000. There is a dynamic that occurs when people are concerned about somebody other than themselves. So among these interconnected hands right now, Lord Jesus, I believe there's enough dynamic energy and faith to be able to deal with any obstacle, any opponent, any foe, any hurdle, anything that the Bible said would like to exalt themselves above you. Your word says we're going to cast down imaginations and any high thing that tries to exalt itself above you. Lord Jesus, I'm a common man and I'm a very common woman. I don't have any power of my own. If I could have bought this, I would have. If I could have gone to college and got a degree for it, I could have. But this is, this is a spirit thing. Lord Jesus, your word says, freely we have received and freely we give away. So Lord, if I've got my hand on somebody that's sick in their body right now, I'm asking you to take healing virtue out of me and heal my brother and heal my sister. If I've got my hand on somebody, Lord, and their family is under attack, I'm asking you, God, to take the peace out of my house and transpose it from my life to theirs. If I've got my hand on somebody that's lost their way and they're seriously considering making a very terrible, tragic choice right now, oh, morning star, I'm asking you, God, to shine bright in their spirit right now. You said you're the way (laughs) to the truth that'll lead to the life. I'm asking you, God, right now, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If I can learn to, to, to do what's right, there's a peace that'll accompany that and ultimately joy of the Holy Ghost that will fill my spirit. If I've got my hand on somebody right now, and they got a daughter that's in trouble, or they have a son that's lost his way. I pray for them right now, God. I may have a daughter in trouble. 
I may have a boy in trouble, but I'm praying for them because I don't want to just be stingy and pray for me and my family. I'm praying for somebody else. I pray right now, God, for a foundation of the word beneath them. I pray a hedge of protection around them. I pray a canopy of submission over them. I'm asking you, God, today around this altar for something mighty and powerful in Jesus' name to come to us and help us realize you only do wonderful things. I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. I make a covenant with my brothers and sisters right now. I'm going to please you. You said if all things were created by you and for your pleasure, they were created. I haven't always pleased you, Lord. You know that, and I know that. But I make a covenant today around this altar. I'm going to put a smile on your face. I'm going to please you with the rest of my life. We're going to sing together. Don't just stand around this altar and listen to these people sing. Everybody's in the choir right now. Graydon's going to lead us. We're going to sing together. We're practicing because the Bible said when you get to the New Jerusalem, they sang a new song. Lift your hands and say, I know breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop. This is what we sing. Sing it again. I know, I know breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop now. With all of your heart, declare and shout, I know, I know, breakthrough is coming. By faith, I see a miracle. My God, he made me a promise and it won't stop now. Come on, do you truly believe?
Can we clap our hands in this house? Give the Lord a shout of praise Amen. this morning. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God, for all you have done for us. I am so excited. In Jesus' name. It's going to be an amazing, amazing week for us all. I can't wait to see you guys tomorrow night at, at 7 p.m. We have some amazing food. Um, so if you just close out in prayer with me in this moment, in Jesus' name, I'm asking you, God, to give us a global mind. I'm asking you, in Jesus' name, to never let me forget exactly how far your hands actually reach. And God, I'm asking you to never let me forget that no matter where I am right now, my steps are ordered because of you. So in Jesus' name, I thank you, God, for the church. I pray that a hedge of protection, foundations, and canopies. And I'm asking you, God, to get, let us have just an amazing, amazing week in your name. Have a great, great week. Can't wait to see you tomorrow night.